The message is entitled, The Apostle Andrew. The Bible is um, the record, God, um, of using men. Men of flesh and blood, portrayed with all their flaws, all their infirmities and their weaknesses. And he never gives a false sense of value or elitism to anyone he uses. Several of the men God called and used are presented as committing horrible sins, as you know, with no attempt to hide or excuse their sin. In fact, the opposite is true. God goes out of his way to present and preserve these men that we might learn regarding their failures that were not due to God, but to their own individual choices that they brought upon themselves. Abraham, the father of faith, as you know, did not answer the call of God the first time. There are two calls upon Abraham in Genesis eleven twenty six and then twelve four. Jacob, the conniver, the mama's boy, who did things his way, always um, getting over on people. For God changed his name to Israel to remind him he needed to be governed and direct and submissive to God. Samson, the carnal strongman, whose Achilles heel was um, women and sexual pleasure. Even to the end, all he thought was about himself, asking God to avenge him over the Philistines. Hmm. David, a man after God's own heart, who was a horrible father, raising his children literally destroying them through his own example of adultery and murder. And the very same rose up in his own house from his own family. God used all these men, ladies and gentlemen. Jonah, the prophet, he was a respecter of persons regarding salvation. He didn't want to become like his God. He just wanted to receive the benefits of his God. These and many other men of God have been preserved and God has gone out of his way to expose their sin that each of us might learn and benefit from them, not just simply to criticize them. In fact, even in the New Testament, Paul speaks to the Corinthians and uses the um, uh, wilderness journey of Israel regarding their carnality and the consequence they brought on themselves. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So everything that's recorded uh, at that time, it was just the Old Testament, but now for us, it's old and new, is written for our learning, for admonition, that we learn from these things, that we don't go there. Um, and that we do go other places in obedience. And so they're for us. And so let's continue in our series on the 12 apostles. And we're taking the listing in the order of Matthew chapter 10, verse 2 through 4. Um, let's look at the second person, the second apostle, Andrew. He will yield to us great treasures as we look at him from a three vantage point. First, the man Andrew. Second, the call of Andrew. And then thirdly, the qualities of Andrew. The man Andrew, his name. His name means 
manly. His physical appearance must have been strong, rugged, as we'll see, he's a fisherman by trade, and uh, they're working hard all the time. Um, his physical appearance, again, could have been something totally different, but for the most part, common says that if you're out there working construction, you're not going to be a Gilligan. You know, you're going to you're going to have some stuff on you. Now, his name appears 13 times in the New Testament. And always in the first of the three groups of the twelve, Matthew and Luke have Andrew second after Peter, who is first on all four lists in Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts chapter 1. Mark and Luke in Acts list Andrew fourth after John. In fact, Andrew's name is most prominent in the Gospel of John, five times, John 1, 40, verse 44, 6, 8, and 12, 22, twice. There are only two times his name is mentioned with the inner circle of the three outside of the listing of the apostles in Mark 13, 3 and Acts 1, 13. His name is found within the inner circle, as you recall, in all four lists. Andrew was the inner circle of the four. He was in that circle, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Um, though the order will vary as you look at the different listings. But though Andrew was in the inner circle of the four, Peter, James, and John, including Andrew, it seems he was not in the inner circle of the three. There were the four, but then the three were the inner of inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Andrew's name varies in order of the list as you look at them, but Peter's name never varies as we saw that last time. Um, he is first always in the leader of the four and the leader of the twelve and the leader of of the three, as we saw in our previous study. And so these things are important because even as your body, you have different parts to your body, even though they all are necessary and important, there's a great priority between your little finger and your heart. One is much important than the other. Not in terms of value of itself, but its function. Today, with all this uh, sexism and racism and equality, you are being tainted in every way you think, and you have to be careful. You're being indoctrinated by the public school education, the universities, and the media, and Hollyweird. Okay? So you have to think biblically. Andrew's home was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Uh, John 1.44 tells us, and Bethsaida was located on the northeast end of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you were there with us this, this year in May. It's a beautiful place around there, uh, the whole sea. And Philip rebuilt the city and named it Bethsaida Julia after the daughter of Augustus and was populated by both Jew and Gentile. 
The city maintained a close business and cultural relationship with Galilee, which was the territory of Philip, uh, his brother Herod Antipas, because remember you have many Herods in the Bible and you have to distinguish them, otherwise you get all confused. Now in view of the city's cultural and business dealings, it is without doubt that Andrew, as well as Peter, uh, both spoke Aramaic as well as Greek. And uh, there's great evidence, much of this, of that population. Now, his father's name was Jonah, um, or John in the Greek. It's the same name. Um, you find this in John 1, 42, 21, 15, 16, and 17. Um, he had a fishing business, as we've said, with his two sons, Andrew and Peter. Uh, Mark 1.16 and Luke 5.10 tells us that. And so these guys are out there, and they're fishermen, and they've been doing this all their life. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, something happens in their life. This guy comes around named Jesus. And some of you were the same way. You were just grew up, and you were doing what you were, went to school for, what you decided to. And all of a sudden, uh, you heard about this man, Jesus, and he messed up your life for good. Radically, that was a good day. Now he had a fishing business, father of Andrew, with um, his two sons, uh, again Andrew and Peter, and, and we must. Uh, they must have had a pretty good business because they had partners, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder that Jesus named in Luke five seven, and he also had hired servants. Uh, implying a prosperous business in uh, Mark 120. Um, now, years past, um, some of the Channel 40 people were teaching that the, the apostles were wealthy and, you know, they wore designer clothes and everything else and they wanted to just elaborate it. No, 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 it's a lie. They, they weren't in poverty. They had a business. They were okay. But they were not wealthy men. At all. So again, whatever people say about it, you have to go to the scripture in the context and examine it. Um, his identity was always in relationship to his brother Peter, that is Andrew. He is referred to as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, much of the time. Um, John tells us one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, in John 1.40. In 6.8, Peter is mentioned first, probably indicating that he is the older of the two. That's the usual order of Scripture, though it does have um, exceptions. Um, Aaron is called the brother of Moses, and he, in fact, was the older one. Um, Peter is also said to be the brother of um, Peter, so it doesn't mean that the other reference is not made. In fact, in Mark 1.16, it says, And he was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting net on the sea, for they were fishermen. Um, but the most common uh, reference to Andrew is uh, Simon, Peter's brother. Sometimes this can bring a lot of problems with brothers and, and envy and strife and everything else. And that's just part of the sin nature. You know what I mean? And if you're an older brother, you know how you picked on your younger brother until there was come time where it kind of leveled out. It's, it's just human nature. 
So these men were just common like anybody else. And yet what is recorded for us, uh, we need to look at it. Again, as we look at the gospel, the B.C. days before they came to Christ, as they came to Christ, and then after the day of Pentecost when they were radically changed, as they were filled with the Spirit of God. Now, his identity was always in relationships, I said, to his brother. Um, Andrew's brother, um, Peter, um, a total different person. Yet, Andrew and Peter were raised in the same home. Uh, sometimes people listen to my brother teach or preach, and they listen to me, and, and, and we're different as night and day. And they always say, why, why does your brother have an accent? I say, because he's adopted. <laughs> um, but you can have two people in the same home and hear the same stuff and learn the same stuff and have the same kind of stuff and be east and west. Andrew and Peter had the same father and mother, the same um, gene pool. They had the same... Uh, trade, fishermen. They were without doubt um, had experienced many of the similar experiences and most likely were always together throughout their lives. If you saw one, you saw the other. Andrew and Peter, nevertheless, were two complete different persons. Andrew was more peaceable while Peter was more energetic, if you will, a Tasmanian devil. Um, Andrew was one who did what he had to do while Peter was always attempting to lead. Andrew was more stable while Peter was more vacillating. Andrew was focused more on the individual while Peter was focused more on the task. So, great contrast. Nothing wrong with those. Andrew and Peter were like night and day, yet God used them both. Amazing. There have been ministries and ministers of incredible giftedness that God has used. Um, but throughout the time that God has called them, due to the choosing of God, they have been eclipsed by other ministers that God has chosen to use in a more public way. And yet they continue to do what God has called them to do without any envy, any strife, or anything else. That is a test for everybody through life, ladies and gentlemen. Faithful to the passion that God has called you to. Uh, where you are, as I said, the different parts of the body, whether you're a little toe or you're a thumb or you're a nose or you're an ear. Um, as I've told you, I've... I've my feet have never complained, and they've never wanted to be an ear, and they've never gone on strike. Um, they just do what they were created to do, and they understand that they're just part of the whole body. That's the illustration for you and I in the Bible. Somehow we miss it. Um, we must be all so careful to not confuse the respecting of persons that clearly is sin with wisdom and understanding about the different levels of close, intimate dealings with individuals in ministry based on several things, on God's gifts. 
on God's call, on God's purpose, on God's wisdom, and God's qualifications. You do this every day on who you choose to spend time with. You don't spend the same amount of time with every one of your friends. You begin with those that are most intimate and closer to you, and then the circle goes outward and less time. You make that choice based on your relationship to them, your benefit to them, and they to you, and common likeness in God's direction. Now you have to be careful you don't allow that to be a respecter of person that you're doing it just because they have money or because they can give you things. That becomes sin to us. But it's wisdom otherwise. God knowing a leader cannot be involved or intimate with everybody in the same level, it's humanly impossible. Even our Lord was very intimate with four of the twelve as we've seen and closer to three of the four. Now, by today's perspective and through the lenses of today's political correctness, that would be wrong. Really. Because, of course, it would be because Jesus was a sexist or because he was a racist or something else. See, so when you, you, you insert your subjective worldview into a context, you distort the clear message that's being given, and you have to be careful. We must never class ourselves or compare ourselves with those commending themselves among themselves, lest we be unwise, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.12. The comparison is Christ. The call is God's will, and the competence is God's enablement. We look to him always. We see his wisdom, his grace, his love, his goodness. We must recognize the different personalities in the body of Christ as we do the gifts of the Spirit. Not everybody has the same gifts. Not everybody has the same calling. Not everybody has the same personality. I mean, there's some people that are just, you know, just, I mean, can you imagine a whole church of one of those kind of guys? My Lord. Variety is good, but variety means difference, not likeness. Your politically correct professors tell you diversity means the same. It does not. They better go back to school. Diversity means difference. And that difference is good. So each personality has its drawbacks, its dangers, and so we need to be aware of those things, part of wisdom. Andrew-type individuals are more reserved. Andrew-type individuals can go unnoticed, and it does not bother them. Some people, if you don't say hi to them, they, they, they walk out of the church. <laughs> they say hi to me. wasn't even looking at you. It's weird, huh? Andrew-type individuals do not need constant affirmation and approval by men. Andrew-type individuals just do what they are called to do with contentment. It's part of maturity, part of growing up. 
Consequently, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a society, in a world today, of a bunch of sixth graders. No growth, no development, no maturity. Everybody's acting like a bunch of kids doing their own thing. Society cannot sustain that for long periods of time. It's very clear in history. We must never extend our ministries beyond what God has called us to do, but only what God directs us, that God alone received the glory, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 14 through 17. One of the traps that a person or a pastor can fall into is to do ministry simply because um, others invite them to go and um, never are personally directed by the Lord, becoming more of a buddy plan traveling partnership. This happens in Christian ministry often. The accountability for the motive behind the amount of ministry travel in the modern-day church will be an interesting thing in the day of the Bema Seat of Christ. You know, people use a lot of spiritual jargon, but is God directing you? Is God behind it, or is it just you and your friends and your corporation? Um, all of that is important. If God directs you, he'll open the doors, he'll provide the resources, and he will bless it. Because he's not the author of confusion. In 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, One of the problems with um, making great appeals and manipulating the people like a car salesman um, to pay what you believe to be your call or your kingdom is that um, you don't know how much is God and how much is you any longer? So now you have to strive to maintain because you strived to attain. The best is always, Lord, your will be done. If this is not of you, let me back off. If you're in it, it'll flow. It'll have its own difficulties. It'll have its own problems. But when you take the things of God, you begin to run them the way of the world. And you, rather than working through the Spirit of God and the gifts of God and the leading of God, begin to use the church as a corporation. God help you and the people. And much of that is going on today, ladies and gentlemen. Even to the point where we just read there of a pastor committing suicide in these emergent churches. Hmm. I thought Jesus saved us. I thought we were lost and when we were saved, we were so happy and elated because now we had the answers to life. Now we have the hope. It's a contradictory message to the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Think it through. This is dangerous, a dangerous way to do ministry. It becomes a machine that you have, and you've got to keep it going. One of the chief markings of Calvary Chapel through Pastor Chuck, the late Pastor Chuck Smith, is he never begged. If you remember all the years on the radio, he never begged. He never allowed them to ask for a penny. 
before the program or after the program or during the program. Chuck is dead. All there is is begging. Things change. God doesn't change. People change. If the church of Macedonia, that was poor as poor could be, were present today, their pastor would not be asked to speak or to sit on the platform of some of the crusades today. Because the pastor of Macedonia would be insignificant. The amount of money you would give in contribution would be what's that? So the problem is not with God. The problem is with the people who say they're men of God. That's the problem. Every one of us have to be careful of that. No one's beyond it. So Android-type servants serve and do only what God calls them to do enjoyably. This was Andrew. Great guy. Secondly comes the call of Andrew. Um, there was a first call to Andrew's life. Um, as he came to Jesus in John 1, 35 through 42, John the Baptist was um, standing uh, with two of his disciples. It tells us there in John you know, chapter 1, verse 35. And Andrew had already made commitment to the repentance of John's preaching, as uh, we have seen already. And uh, a disciple, a learner, that's the first step, as we've seen with Peter. Uh, when you come to Christ, you're a learner. You're starting to re learn and read the word of God. That comes first. And uh, John seeing Jesus there in that text of John 1 walking said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he pointed them to Jesus. He was all the Old Testament prophesied about. Jesus was the fulfillment of it. In the volume of the book, it is written to me to do your will, O God, Hebrews 10, 7 says. Everything. He was God incarnate. He abdicated his throne, took on flesh. He beheld his glory, his only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The two disciples heard John and followed Jesus. Seeing them, he asked, What do you seek? There in John 1, 37 and 38. And they said, Where are you staying? It went from John the Baptist to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was a friend of the bridegroom, not the groom. He handed things over to Jesus. John the Baptist says, I must decrease. He, Jesus, must increase. Wow. Not many people can handle that stuff. Men love glory. Give them crowds. Give them numbers. You know who these men are. Because they will always present their message with figures. How many people they've preached to. How many people have come to the Lord. Because people and numbers are money. And they impress people. Wow. One day a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you everywhere, wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In Matthew 8, 19 through 20. You sure you want to follow me? I'm not promising to make you rich. I'm not promising comfort. I'm not promising anything. In fact, um, they're probably going to kill you. That's the Christianity of the New Testament, by the way. For whatever reason, God has allowed us to be exempt from the usual of the church in history. But we see times changing in our nation. Very quickly. 
I don't think the church is ready for what's coming in the United States. I don't think the church is ready. Jesus told them to come and see, and they remained with him that day. It was about 10 o'clock, John tells us there in verse 39 of John. And the time was about 4 p.m., and they spent the rest of the day with him. So that transition came. One of the two is identified as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The other, of course, is John. The first thing that Andrew does is to find his brother Peter, declaring to him they had found the Messiah, the Christ, and brought him to Jesus in verse 41 and 42. And Jesus looked at Peter. He said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone, as we've seen. And Andrew and Peter lived together, and they probably were inseparable, as I said in Mark 129. And so... They were together through life and their occupation growing up and now coming to Jesus, here they come as brothers. Amazing. John goes out of his way to indicate the sequential order of the events by day so we can be sure that Andrew was most likely with Jesus in the following places and events. John is very chronological. Andrew was probably present at the wedding feast at Canaan in John 2.2. Andrew was at Capernaum in John 2.12. Andrew was at Passover in Jerusalem in John 2.13. And Andrew was at the baptism in Judea and possibly one of the ones who baptized for Jesus never baptized in John 3.22-4.2. The disciples baptized. Jesus never water baptized. Um, Andrew's always on the background, not the center of attention. Um, when people want to make themselves the center of attention, it's kind of obnoxious, isn't it? You want to just try and say, lighten up. You know, take a seat. Um, people force themselves. Um, it, it's, it's very apparent, and it's, it's not the way God works. There was a second call on Andrew's life, the call to his um, apprenticeship or internship, um, Matthew 4.12, Mark 1.14, and other verses give us. John the Baptist had been cast into prison by Herod, as you know, and Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw the two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Again, Matthew 4.18 and Mark 1.16 tells us. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Directs himself right to them. They immediately left their nets, and they followed him. Matthew and Mark tell us. Andrew was to be a learner first. You came to Christ. Weber ministered to you, told you, now you need to get into the Bible. You need to read the Bible. You need to find a church. You need to grow. It's important. There was a third call of Andrew's life, the call to be one of the 12 apostles. Again, uh, Matthew 10, Mark 3, and Luke 6, and Acts 1 give you the four lists of that. 
This was their uh, first sending. Their final would come after the resurrection. Uh, the context in Matthew's gospel is after the declaration by Jesus that the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few, and they were to pray to the Lord for the harvest, and then that he sent out laborers, and then he sent them out in Matthew nine thirty seven to 38. Jesus told them not to go to the Gentiles, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven was at hand in Matthew 10, 6 through 8. Because Jesus was sent to his own, the Jew, Israel first. And as you move on through, then the extension to the Gentiles, and then God just drew the line on the Jew and the rejection, 70 AD. The temples destroyed Jerusalem, and the majority of the church is Gentile, not Jewish. It began Jewish who accepted Christ as Messiah, and then it moved into Gentile order. Now, the apostle Andrew was the only one who made an attempt to do his part in feeding the 5,000 as he brought five barley loaves and two fishes in John 6, 8 through 9. No one else did. Not that it would help much, but it was a thought that counted, right? The apostle Andrew was the one Philip turned to when some uh, Greeks... Um, who came to um, worship at the feast, approached him about Jesus in John 12, 20 and 22. Andrew and Philip were both from Bethsaida, but Andrew was in the inner circle of the four, and Andrew was one who was always bringing people to Jesus. Remember, Jesus rebuked them because, you know, they, they, they shoot away the kids and other people. We, we do that. You know that there are some pastors, even within the Calvaries, I couldn't call directly to them. I have to go through three or four secretaries. When you are so insulated, you know nothing. You removed yourself from the people and from others. It's amazing. We just believe our own press. We think we're the hottest thing to ice cream. And we don't realize we're melting. Amazing to me. Andrew was one of the four disciples on the Mount of Olives who asked the Lord about the end times in Mark 13, 3 through 4. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? He was one of the four. We just went through Matthew 24, 25, a very crucial discourse, the end times. Tribulation period. This is one of the two times his name is mentioned with the inner circle of the three outside of the listings of the apostles. Andrew was with the disciples after the Lord's ascension also in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 13. It says, and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were Stain, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, James, uh, son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zealot, and Judas, the son of Iscariot. Andrew, according to the tradition, preached in Scythia, Greece, and Asia Minor, Thrace, and had been crucified at Petraea 
and Achaia for the rebuke towards the Aegeus. And uh, they became very hostile because he rebuked them for their idolatry. You see, religious people will kill you. Christians won't. You reject Christians, you insult Christians, you beat Christians, they'll pray for you. Religious people, they'll kill you. <laughs> Make no mistake of that. There's a big difference between Christians and religious people. He was nailed to a cross in the next shape, hence it is called St. Andrew's Cross. He was, um, was an ever-faithful messenger of the gospel and reportedly preached for the duration of two days till his death from the cross. Amazing. Napoleon was so enamored of the sweet smell of success that he used 54 bottles of cologne um, a month and carried them with him to his battlefields. One would think that on a windy day, the order would have uh, alerted the enemy of his presence. Often, such is the case with some people as they serve. It can be picked up in the air of their presence. Totally contrary to being servants and humble and doing only what God has called them to do. A check on all of us. And ladies and gentlemen... All of us have this potential. Please. Every one of us. I have sin nature to the day I die. You don't want to hang out with old Xavier. No. New Xavier? He's all right. Old Xavier? Unacceptable. Unacceptable. There's an initial introduction for all of us to Jesus at our new birth. But it's only the first step. A person hears the gospel and the message and faith is stimulated. As Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. A person takes the step to repent. Godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. Not that you just regret the consequence, but you see your sin against God and you're sorry for what you did and the consequences towards others. First the vertical, then the horizontal. Too often is regret, remorse. Oh, I got pregnant. Oh, I got to pay $300. Oh, but then you're out the next weekend doing the same thing. Not godly repentance. A person understands their sins are forgiven. And they're new creatures, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Do you understand that? Do you know where you came from? you know what you did? You got all those bad sins? Have you repented? They don't exist then. Buried in the deepest ocean. Do you believe that? Wow. A person begins to learn to be nourished, rooted and grounded in God's word. As Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, this is the greater failure of today. Pastors don't feed the flock of God. Sheep just eat wild grass. They're not disciplining themselves to study the word of God, to be part of the body, to be involved. There's a next step as God um, 
calls a person to be um, involved in ministry service, uh, their apprenticeship, their internship, if you will. Uh, God is the one who calls. He puts individuals in the ministry and enables them, just as he did when Jesus called the twelve. Uh, Paul makes this very clear in 1 Timothy 1.12. God saves you, God directs you, God calls you. Uh, I believe if you're here, then maybe that God brought you here. Uh, you may be choosing around, looking around for a church, but ultimately I hope you're seeking the Lord to see, Lord, do you want me here? Am I part of this body? What is it you call me to do? That's important. God is the one who calls, as I said, and God is the one who appoints preachers and teachers to ministry, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.7. Uh, we don't call ourselves, and, and you don't call on the gifts that you want. God gives them separately as he wills. God distributes them um, as he sees fit, sovereignly, at 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen, And he's the one that makes those decisions. And we accept and receive those with great gratitude and thank God so that anything that God does in me and through me and by me, to him is the glory, not to me. There will be no one up in heaven going like this. No one. Study the script, Revelation 4 and 5. They're all on their faces. They cast their crown at the feet of Jesus. Study it well. There is the affirmation of one's ministry, of one is used in going out to others, being approved, tested through time. Time is the test of all things, ladies and gentlemen. A person goes from a helper in ministry to a leader and to the community. One way or the other. A person goes from serving in the church body to ministering to others, um, sometimes outside the church. As God opens doors, recognized by the Christian community, they see the parent's life, the woman's life, and, and they, they, they realize that God's hands upon them. And they understand that it's not them. They understand it's God. That's important. A person is seen as such through the passing of time the quality of the fruit of their life and their own life and their marriage and their ministry and the lives of others. Very, very important. I was speaking to a group of men yesterday at a breakfast and, um, and telling them just the importance of men being the heads of their home and um, following the Lord's lead and guiding and leading their, their wives. If you weren't here on Thursday on the What About series, I would encourage you to get Thursday's message. As, what about women pastors? I would ask you to listen to that, what the Bible has to say, okay? Men, you are the head of your home. You are the high priest. God will hold you responsible for your family. No one else. God will deal with individuals to them, but you are the head of your home. And so, we see this is the call of Andrew. Let me finish up with the qualities of Andrew. Andrew was a man of faith, a person who was a leader in spiritual decision-making. Um, he had chosen to believe in the message of John the Baptist, and then, uh, again, as he went to Bethsaida and beyond the Jordan there in John 1, uh, it was a decision he made. Uh, you made the same decision as uh, you heard the gospel. Um, he saw himself as an extension of his master. He did not depend on others to walk with God. Thank God for others, but I don't depend on others to walk with God. That's me and the Lord. You as a woman to the Lord, as a man to the Lord, as a young person. Andrew had a passion for sinners and brought others to Jesus. Peter, his brother, first. The lad with the 
the loaves, and then certain Greeks we see in Scripture. Andrew had humility. He, had, uh, he did not mind being second to his brother Peter, as we've seen. Even though he brought him to Jesus, there could have been competition or rivalry, as I said earlier. It could have been envy, jealousy. It could have been an attempt to divide the group. All those potentials are there always. Even though he was in the inner circle, he was not in the Lord's inner circle of Peter, James, and John. He could rest in his call and his privilege. He could be content. This is probably the most difficult thing of us as human beings in life. Contentment. Satisfaction. As we move through life, the where I am, you know, God's good. Because you know you're seeking the Lord and you're doing all that you can in following the Lord and you're being responsible and accountable and you settle in Christ. And you're not running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Very, very important. Even though his brother Peter was constantly blowing it, he could have easily pointed out these errors constantly. He could have used the circumstance to exalt himself and put Peter down. We don't see that at all. Now, did he have the possibility of potential? Of course he did. Andrew was a very secure, stable individual. He did not need to be first nor mind being second, um, as we've stated. Um, this is not always the case, even in Christianity. We walk in humility, accepting our place, even as he did, being protected by the ugliness of pride, jealousy, and envy, and all the other fleshly things that go on that all they do is destroy things and people. Again, not that he didn't have the potential, not that it was, not that it was automatically because you're born into warfare, but the fact is that he dealt with it, checked it, and didn't yield to it. The sin is not in being tempted, ladies and gentlemen. The sin is in giving in to the temptation. There's the sin. He could rest in the service that God had called him to and not be anxious. He could enjoy the gifts and the help of others, never feeling threatened by them. It has been said that if Peter is the father of the Pentecostal converts, then Andrew is the spiritual grandfather for he brought his brother Peter to Jesus. Think of the people or the person who has affected your life in Christ. Think of the people that prayed for you. The people who have gone out of their way to help you, to guide you, to be there for you. And then now as you grow in Christ, you will do the same. And we're linked together. Our relationship is first and foremost vertical to Christ individually but he has put us together as a family of God. The same mind, the same spirit, the same Bible. We all are one in Christ Jesus. One of the new um, Hebrides in the South Pacific Islands is the lonely grave of a Presbyterian missionary, the Reverend John Getty. A marble slab bears the following inscription. When he came here, 
there were no Christians. When he went away, there were no heathens. Pretty good. Hmm. Are you a person of faith, living up to the measure of faith God has given to you? Or are you um, lagging behind? Uh, Romans 12, 3 says that he's given us a measure of faith accordingly, different all of us. If he calls you to do something, he gives you the measure of faith to fulfill it. That's the beauty of the Lord. He never calls you to do something that he doesn't enable you for. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the one, the first one to be more shocked at me than anybody else. As the years have gone by, the, the, the time, the number of sermons, the different things that God has done. And I, I used to, when I first came to the Lord, I'd look at some commentaries, two volumes, three volumes, I go, wow, you know, and now 45 years later, you go on the internet and you see all the studies, all the volumes of stuff and everything else, and I go, Lord, you are too much. Amazing grace. Amazing. Hmm. Or are you playing us safe all the time? That's not faith, but foolishness. Stepping out when God is not leading is foolishness. But not when God is leading step by step. Wisdom is stepping out when God is speaking one step at a time. Do you have passion for the loss or are you indifferent? If you have passion for the loss, you are wise, Proverbs 11.30 says. Do you share with others about Christ? When the Lord leads, I mean, it's very evident. God has opened his door. Do you go out of your way to share? Or is it always on your convenient level? I don't have time right now. Sometimes God... Be open to God's interruptions. <laughs> You'll find you get blessed and, and, and they help you in your spiritual life. Do you know how to share Christ with others? Maybe that's a more basic question we need to ask. Do you have to be number one and notice like the Pharisees? Or can you be what God has called you to be? We've studied Matthew 6 there. Jesus rebukes them for their ostentatious um, demonstration of righteousness, their prayers and their giving and everything else. And the problem is that much of the church encourages that type of carnality. They have fundraisers. Okay, okay, now who's going to give? You know, if you want to get into the gold uh, level, you have to give over $1,000 and we will put your name on a plaque. And, you know, so they use carnal means to motivate carnal people to get carnal resources. So they demonstrate the leaders are more carnal than the people. And they know that manipulating carnality works. Wow. Amazing to me. Identify your gifts. Cultivate and develop your gift by serving. Let your service be unto the Lord, not the man. Faithful, without complaining, never robbing God of his glory. Do you live a stable life of growth or is it erratic? You're up, you're down, you're down, you're up. 
passed to and from. Your service to the church, where is it at? Important. Whether you come here or you go somewhere else, doesn't matter. If you're erratic, stop blaming others and take responsibility for the failures of your own spiritual underdevelopment and maturity. You need to repent, ask God to forgive you and get in the word of God and jump in with both feet. Take time to seek and wait upon the Lord as you study, you have him direct you, speak to your heart. Take the initiative to be committed, not being a quitter in every way. Ladies and gentlemen, our nation is raising a bunch of little girls on every level. Don't let them do that to you in Christ. You're kings and priests. You belong to the family of God. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You've got your marching orders. It is not sitting. It is not being like the world. Wow. These are some of the qualities of Andrew. Interesting apostle. <laughs> what valuable treasures Andrew has yielded to us for our service in Christ through these three vantage points. The man Andrew, the call of Andrew, and the qualities of Andrew. May God give us wisdom not to try to be like him, but to learn from him. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and goodness. We love you and we thank you. Pray for every person this morning, Lord. I pray your hand be upon them, and Lord, on myself, and you continue to direct and guide us, and Lord, that we would be um, more impressed with you than with ourselves, and that we would just be so thankful for your mercies over our life, not only to save us, but to call us to serve you, Lord. We pray for the community, Lord, Pasadena, wherever we come from, this world is just so lost. Our nation, Lord, we cry for your mercy. You protect us and allow us to walk with understanding. As you're praying, if you're here today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the Internet. If you believe that Jesus God who became man, died for your sins, rose from the dead, then you can call upon him to be forgiven and to be made a child of God by grace through faith. A simple prayer of repentance is what is required. Peter says, they say, what must we do to be saved? Repent. And you and your children receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to as many as are far off. I presume you qualify. If this is the case, this is your prayer of repentance to the Lord, not to us, but to him. He's going to forgive you and save you right now, right where you're at. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you made that decision, we welcome you to the family. Brother, my right, your left, Tony will meet you there. He'll give you that Bible absolutely free. Share some important thing for your growth, and you'll be free to leave. We don't want your money. We're not going to call you. We're not going to put you on some begging list or anything else. We just want to make sure you know what you've done. If we can do anything for you, help you grow, please let us know. And grow in Christ and know that he's coming. In such a time as you think not, the Son of Man comes. As you look to the world scene, certainly our salvation is far nearer today than it was when we first believed. <laughs> and so may God give us wisdom. Tonight we're going to look at Miriam. We're looking at the men in the morning, ladies at night. Let's stand. We'll close in worship. Thank you for coming. If you need questions or prayer, we'll be up here in front. If you accept the Lord right over there. God bless you. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Prayer and questions. If you accept the Lord, please right over there. See you tonight. God bless.